We cannot change the cards we are dealt, just how we play the hand. You know, in case there's anybody who wandered in and doesn't know the backstory, my dad always taught me when there's an elephant in the room, introduce them. Uh, if you look at my CAT scans, there are approximately 10 tumors in my liver, and the doctors told me three to six months of good health left. Uh, that was a month ago, so you can do the math. Um, I have some of the best doctors in the world. Uh, so that is what it is. We can't change it, and we just have to decide how we're going to respond to that. We cannot change the cards we are dealt, just how we play the hand. Uh, if I don't seem as depressed or morose as I should be, um, sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> that was Professor Randy Pausch lecturing students at Carnegie Mellon University on September 17, 2007. He was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer just one year prior. The lecture was part of a series meant to inspire and motivate the students. The speeches had one theme, to deliver wisdom they would share with the world as if it was their last chance. Randy called the lecture, really achieving your childhood dreams with the hopes of inspiring his three children. But with over 18 million YouTube views to date, it's clear his impact was felt on a much larger scale. His talk is now more famously known as the last lecture. Here we have a 46 year old man with terminal cancer, months left to live and everything to lose cracking jokes and literally doing push-ups on stage. You gotta see it. I'll be sure to include the link in the show notes. His outlook on life was better than most healthy people I know. One thing Randy said that really stuck out to me, bad things happen to us and it truly is up to us to choose how we experience them. Remember in episode two with Gay Hendricks, when he mentions that we will only allow so much good feelings in our lives before we hit an upper limit in self-sabotage? What would you do if you hit this upper limit? your ultimate upper limit, your own mortality. Again, we cannot change the cards we're dealt, just how we play the hand. Randy was dealt a bad hand to say the least. Have you ever felt like you were dealt a bad hand? I know I certainly have. Would you say he had the green light to live the last months of his life shutting himself off from the world, to grieve, to feel every ounce of fear? But that's not the way he played his hand. Randy would go on to appear on Oprah, Good Morning America, and ABC, where he discussed the message in his famous lecture, even co-authoring New York Times bestseller, The Last Lecture. Sadly, the professor died on July 25, 2008, but not before leaving his inspirational mark on the world during what many would agree to be the darkest moments of his life. Could you scout the deeper meaning in his message, though? This man's looming death sentence couldn't keep him from finding greater meaning with the little time he had left. Terminal cancer was his opponent. What's yours? Have you put your challenges to work for you? Or did they wear the pants? What's the matter? Where you going? You chicken? Listen, there's no better time than right now to step into your passion, your genius, your message. The world is waiting. Please do not let a moment as big as facing mortality, others or your own, wake you up to finally saying yes. Are you with me? I'm begging you right now, take on your life. It truly is very short and goes so fast. Mortality is what it took for me to finally wake up to my biggest work on the planet. My dad was given up to a year to live. He died in only four short months. The powerful man that worked out every morning before the sunrise, ate healthy and rested a lot, gone. Me sitting at his bedside, watching him take his final breath. 
my pops, I love you and miss you. He died all too young and way too fast from a cancerous brain tumor. He hardly had any health issues his entire life. Then this. Months later, grieving, wailing on my knees in the hallway of my condo in Southern California, begging the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, for my purpose to show up, my message, my life's work, to not die with my voice still in me like my father did. I was ready to use my body as a vessel for service to humanity. As I'd mentioned before, self-indulgence was no longer working. Can you relate? I pray that you fully realize your unique message and voice in the world. Please don't let fear stop you from sharing it. And never forget, there are lessons in everything if we ask the right questions. Whatever you resist persists, but if you ask the right question, not why is this happening, but what is this here to teach me? What is this here to teach me? It puts you in the place and space to get the lesson you need. This clip from Oprah's commencement speech at Stanford in 2008. Welcome to the Face Your Dragon podcast, where we help you, a messenger with a mission, leverage your fear to amplify your voice in the world. On the show, we open up the concept that what you are most afraid of and most resisting are the very things that will set you free. With courage, with clarity, with contribution, you can have it all. This show will engage in deep, enriching conversation with thought leaders, best-selling authors, celebrities, athletes, icons, and regular Joes who have faced their fear and are now using it to create impact in the world. I'm Brad Axelrad, and I'll be your host. Going slow isn't exactly a badge of honor in our society. In fact, it's evolved into a belief motivated by fear. If you're falling behind, you're failing. If you're taking your time, you're not being efficient. If everything seems under control, you're not going fast enough. Notice a pattern? A negative connotation follows the concepts of control and deceleration. And boy, I've gone very fast in my life as a motocross racer and extreme sports guy, just going for it. Going slow was not part of my makeup. Is it for you? Everything from entertainment to food is built to provide a quick hit of instant gratification. How many times have you cursed the car ahead of you for actually going the speed limit? What makes it so difficult to slow down? Why is it met with such resistance? Carl Bonnere summed it up best in his TED Talk in praise of slowness. Well, why is it so hard to slow down? I think there are various reasons. Uh, one is that the speed is fun. You know, speed is sexy. It, all that adrenaline rush, it's, it's hard to give it up. Uh, I think there's a kind of metaphysical dimension that speed becomes a, a way of walling ourselves off from the bigger, deeper questions. We fill our heads with distraction, with busyness, so that we don't have to ask, am I well? Am I happy? Are my children growing up right? The busier you are, the more you can avoid being mindful of the life around you. But is ignorance truly bliss? As it turns out, the benefits of mindfulness wins over its competitor. Kirk Brown from the University of Rochester conducted a study on the effects of mindfulness on psychological well-being. Using the Mindful Attention Awareness Scale to measure qualities of consciousness, he found the participants towards the higher end of the scale had more cognitive control and were better able to configure their actions and words compared to those on the lower end. He also concluded those with enhanced self-awareness experienced more positive emotional states. Using the same approach with cancer patients, tests showed that an increase in mindfulness resulted in less stress and mood disturbance. Author Lori Meyer said, when there is no distraction, there is clarity. 
When you make it a point to be consistently mindful, your vision becomes clearer, making it easier to find true purpose and meaning. Have you challenged yourself enough to slow down? Taken the time to explore your gifts, your talents, your message? To be mindful of what could possibly be holding you back? What could you be keeping to yourself that the world needs? Do you stunt true happiness and growth to keep cozy in your blanket of mild contentment? As someone once said, a comfort zone is a beautiful place, but nothing ever grows there. Slowing down to speed up is so important. Getting all the clients you want, the speaking gigs you want, the lifestyle-friendly business you want. It takes facing your dragon and finally saying yes to what you are most resisting. Remember this brilliant quote by Joseph Campbell, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Christine Carlson has experienced intensely dark moments in her life, one of which altered the path of her life entirely. Faced with her own dragons of uncertainty and fear, she leveraged a devastating loss to discover her purpose and greatest gift. Now she inspires others with her message of courage and strength. She's the co-author of the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff book series and author of international bestsellers, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff in Love and Don't Sweat the Small Stuff for Women with over 30 million copies in print. That is a massive amount of books in print. Very few will ever reach that level. It's truly amazing what her and her late husband, Richard, created. I'm honored to have her as a friend and guest of this episode of the Face Your Dragon podcast. We had the pleasure of traveling Costa Rica for 10 days with 24 entrepreneurs, sharing our message with them. I had the honor of being the MC for the whole trip. What a blast. Chris truly has one of the biggest hearts of anyone I've ever met. She's also now a member of the Association of Transformational Leaders alongside of me and many other big-hearted leaders. Listen in as she shares her sweetheart with us. Chris, it's so great to have you today. I'm really honored to have you in this context. We've been in other contexts, and uh, it's great to have you. Uh, thanks, Brad. I'm really happy to be with you, too. <laughs> Yay. So what uh, you were just sharing something I thought was really interesting and maybe quite rare in the sense that you were doing, what, 100, up to 100 interviews a day? Can you share a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. Well, you were commenting, you know, just, you know, we're getting ready and you were like, you know, you've probably done this 400 times. And I said, yeah, probably done it maybe even more than 400, maybe about a thousand times. So, yeah, just for like drive tours, for radio tours, um, satellite tours and stuff. Sometimes you might be sitting in a satellite studio, either on camera for TV drive time, where one time I did 50 interviews in one sitting from 2 a.m. until like 2 p.m. the next day. Wow. Uh, then I did a radio tour once that had 100 interviews where it was literally like, I don't know, a 16-hour stretch where it was just every single national, every radio, every, you know, radio, radio station in the country would book the time, you know, and that's something that the publisher set up for me. So yeah, I've been this is, you know, it's not my first rodeo. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, heck, with 25 million copies in print, is that is that accurate? It's actually we just did a new count. That was taken 10 years ago, so it was it's 30 million now. So 30 million. Yeah, pretty crazy. Crazy stuff. That, I mean, not many books ever ever get to that. I mean, it was one of the fastest-selling books of all time, isn't that right? It was, yeah, back in its first year, you know, it was a time when self-help had really reached a peak performance level, you know, that 
self-help at that time had about, I don't know, 13% of the total book market. So it was pretty huge. But Richard's book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, when he came out with it was his 10th book. And it sold like 3.2 million copies in that very first year. And now remember, this was prior to like Harry Potter and all of that. And Chicken Soup for the Soul was really taking off at the same time. So Chicken Soup for the Soul and Don't Sweat the Small Stuff were kind of a couple of the first branded book series. You know, there had been other branded authors, of course, Wayne Dyer and John Gray and Deepak Chopra and all of those guys were beginning to really brand themselves and brand their books. But Don't Sweat the Small Stuff and Chicken Soup for the Soul really went in a huge branded way. I mean, as a book series where the series was larger than the authors for a long time. Right. So I love the distinction, little stuff, big stuff. What is that distinction for you and Richard? I'm curious to hear how that sort of played out for you guys. Well, you know, that was like one of the strategies. I remember, you know, people would always say that, you know, to Richard, well, is it really all small stuff? And so he would always say, well, you have to really define what your small stuff is, you know, and it's different for everyone. The things that stress us out that take our attention away from being present in our lives and really for the big moments of joy and and all of the things that happen in the present moment are really what we're talking about. So it's those conversations that you're having in your head before you have them in person, you know, those ones that you're preoccupied about <laughs> that, you, that you keep rehearsing over and over and over again. <laughs> As Landmark says, Landmark Education, the, the already always listening, right? Just that. Yeah. And just the, the little annoyances that that take up big space in your mind space. And that's really what he and we have always referred to as small stuff. It's really anything that becomes a distraction from, you know, your heart presence and your truly mindful living and keeps you from enjoying your life because you're focused on something small that happened that you're not reconciling because you keep going on in this mental loop. Mm -hmm. Those dragons will keep showing up facing us if we don't face them, right? Yeah, that's so true. Or if you just don't drop them like a hot potato. <laughs> well, Say, I'm done with you. <laughs> I'm just done. Get away. You ever, you ever have that experience when you're in a bad dream? I do. I'm like in a bad dream. And I'm like, suddenly it becomes very lucid for me. And I'm like, hell no, I'm not going there. You're out <laughs> of your dream. I'm not even going there. You know. <laughs> and you and you wake up from it by doing that? Do you, do you, yeah, or, I do. Yeah. I do. I often wake up in my bad dreams and tell them to go away. (laughs) I I totally get that. I I pray that the the dragon tribe here understands the ability or benefit of lucid dreaming. And that sounds like totally like lucid dreaming. But I I just, uh, I mean, we've got to talk about this. And I want to talk about it, you know, here on the beginning of our conversation, Chris. You know, it's coming. Is it at the 10-year mark of Richard's death? Yeah, so it was December 13th is the 10-year mark, and, and I always call it our transition, you know, because I think of his as a transition into a continued life somewhere else, and it's definitely my transition time period, too, of a continued life without his physical presence in it. So, yeah, it's been 10 years. Wow. What dragons did you face when that just suddenly happened? I mean, he was he was on an airplane a couple hours before, and... And he had an uh, aneurysm or embolism. What what was it again? It was a pulmonary embolism, embolism on the flight, on the descent of the flight to New York. So it was an instant. Nobody even knew that he had passed. He just he just died silently. And then he landed, and you got a call. Is that? 
Yeah, the plane landed and then I got a phone call from a doctor and a nurse and you know, they essentially just told me that my husband had expired and you know, I mean, the word expired was a really hard one to get my head yeah. wrapped around, you I know, bet. I mean, I remember that being like, what? Yeah. You know, but yeah, you know, so initially, I mean, the dragons that I faced were huge and ironically, I felt like somehow my fears that I had when I was really young woman, because I met Richard when I was 18 and was with him for, you know, from the time I was 18 to 43. And there's something about when you choose a really solid man like Richard was, it sort of allayed my fears. Like it's sort of like, it just uh, suddenly I wasn't as fearful and I grew into this woman with him. But interestingly, what I found is that it sort of dropped me back into those insecurities and fears that I had in myself that were already within that were maybe not as healed after his presence, you know, and I kind of went back into this really great fear initially of being alone and what that was going to be like. And here I was in my sexual prime at 43. I mean, I was like, wow, this is a terrible time for my husband to die. <laughs> I'm like, how do I reconcile that oh, one? You know? And I had two teenage daughters at very tender ages. My youngest daughter at the time was turning 15. She was 14. And my oldest daughter, who was two and a half years older, was graduating from high school and moving off to college. And, you know, it was terribly fearful to suddenly be thrown into family grief, you know, without my husband, without their father. And, you know, it really, it's sort of like, we were like the quintessential perfect family that a huge piece was just ripped away from us very suddenly. So it just catapults you into chaos, basically. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I'm really, really feeling what you're saying. I'm sure everybody else is as well. Like, how did you, I mean, did it take years? Was it four years, 10 years before you kind of feel relief? How long did it take? I, I mean, I know after my father died, it. I was in depression for years. I didn't realize it. I knew I was grieving, but boy, it, it took many years. Brad, that's an interesting question. You know, I, I feel like I dropped into a journey, you know, right from the start. I mean, I mean, I decided really early on that I wasn't going to be a victim of this situation or these circumstances. And that's probably the pivotal shift and change that happened in me. And I really saw that my journey would go two ways. I, I saw that I could immerse myself in self-pity and maybe, you know, even become an alcoholic or start smoking. I mean, who knows where that would have led? Greasy hair, you know. <laughs> I mean, I could see that side and that shadow part being really true for me. And then I also saw that I had been given this amazing life and lived this amazing life and that this was my turn. And I hated it and I felt really screwed by it. And I didn't like it and I didn't want it. You know, I was upset and angry and grief stricken. But in all of that, I also knew that there had to be something that was really in my growth and in my soul growth for this to happen. And that deep down, I just knew that there are no accidents and that there was something that I needed to gain in this lifetime and perhaps my daughters too for this experience of loss. And Certainly I have gained and certainly I have awakened and 
for those gifts, I could never thank this life, this love, this experience, this loss, my husband enough for all that he has given me in this lifetime. I mean, it, it has meant tremendous growth for me. I get it. Through those defining moments or our darkest night of the soul can come a whole nother purpose or a purpose, right? Yeah. You know, one of the things that Richard said shortly before he died, you know, we were on a, a walk together and he just, you know, he goes, you know, Chris, and I said, what? And he said, I just, I have something so deep I want to say to you. And and I said, what, honey? And he said, you know, I just, what I love so much about the human spirit is that we can take our greatest tragedy and we can turn it into something that gives our lives greater meaning than they might have otherwise had. And he said that three months before wow. he died. I, that statement just came back to me right in one of those darkest hour moments. And I was just like, oh, geez, he was really talking to me. You know, he was giving me that instruction. Wow. And, and saying, don't miss this, Chris. You know, this is, don't miss this, you know? And I mean, I think of a million ways he probably said that to me about things that he taught in his work, you know, about living presently and how I really was missing it. And how I wasn't living as consciously as I could have been, how I was more immersed in living my roles as wife and mother than I was in, you know, in living awake. And, you know, and I really got it. Boy, his death woke me up and it woke me and shook me and rocked me to my core. So I got it. Wow. What would you say that through that process of being rocked to your core, what was it that you got with absolute clarity through that and from that? Like what, what was the biggest gift or lesson you got from it? Well, I, I know with certainty that the present moment is all we ever have. And, you know, in my grief, one of the beautiful things that I was really practicing that I noticed a year later, you know, I was like, wow, I was really practicing living presently, you know, that I really couldn't live in my past for that first year because it just held way too much pain for me and I couldn't live in my present or my future because it held too much fear. And so I just stayed in the present moment as much as possible. And I started to just practice that, like shifting, you know, I'd, I'd be in grief and then I bring myself back to my present moment and I'd be in my past and I bring myself back to my present moment. And I just felt like, wow, after a year of that, I was like, I have really learned how to live presently. And I've also really gotten that this moment is precious, you know, because none of us know when our next breath is going to be and when our next breath isn't. Well, it just makes me think of Miguel Ruiz in, in our first podcast of the Face Your Dragon podcast where he had a major heart attack and was in a coma for nine weeks. And here he is, this messenger out on <laughs> selling millions of books, just like Richard, and, and has this huge purpose on the planet and gives so much of his heart. It's said that, that Miguel gave so much of his heart that he wore it out. Uh, yeah, kind of might have been what happened to my husband, too, you know, that he was so offering of himself. You know, I always say, like, we're all like these candles and we burn really brightly, but you can either go a fast burn or a slow burn. I mean, Richard tend to burn a little fast. Yeah, no, I get it. I totally get I'm it. Like, I'm like, it's okay to burn a little slower, you know, just slow it down a little bit because, you know, I mean, 
if you live as if you have some time, and even though you're making the most of every moment, you don't have to live life as if it's an emergency, you know, and that was one of Richard's probably teach best what you most need to learn things is that he really did move at an abominable rate. I mean, he really did. He was a fast moving person, (laughs) even though he was super present, you know, in his moments. But I always say, gosh, if you hadn't left such a huge body of work so young, maybe you'd be here a little longer, you know? Yeah. How old was he when he, when he, uh, he was 45, 45, I'm 44 right now. You know, it's amazing to think that anything can happen. And and really, I think one of my takeaways from hearing your story several times, and I want to share about where we met and we went on that journey. It was kind of fun. But, you know, it's literally, I'm still alive. I'm surprised by that. (laughs) (laughs) All of the crazy stuff I've done in my life, you know, facing many dragons with many different types of deaths too, right? There's so many, there's ego death, there's parental death, there's partner death, there's, I mean, there's just so many layers of removing the things that are keeping us dead anyway, right? And sometimes we need to sort of have these deaths to have the the dark night of the soul that'll wake us up to our greatest purpose, like we're talking about. But, you know, geez, having raced motocross, street bikes, uh, cars, I mean, I've been pushing the envelope forever, and it's really provided a lot of perspective. And I'm grateful for all the times that I've faced death, I've faced life, And it's just, it's beautiful to hear your sort of, um, the renewing of your soul, the renewing of your life purpose, Chris, the renewing of your gift to the world as the torch bearer of this conversation. It's so amazing. It's amazing how, you know, if our lives are our message, you know, oftentimes for many of us, it is in our suffering that we find our message, you know, because I mean, I, I totally, I always say I'm the wounded healer. I have to heal and then I share, you know, it's like I go through my wounds and then when I come out the other side, then I'm very able to articulate and share how to get through them, you know, and I don't typically share before I'm ready. <laughs> I mean, like I'm, I'm definitely, I got to go through it first. <laughs> right. Got it. So share a little bit about, let's talk about some of the main tenets of don't sweat the small stuff. Do you have your sort of five main keys that you really like to talk about? Can you share what those are for you? Yeah, well, you know, the book is really that that whole philosophy is really grounded in some of Richard's earlier work. Um, He wrote a book called You Can Be Happy No Matter What, Five Principles to Keeping Life in Perspective. And remember, I mean, that book was written in 1989. So when he was writing about thought, moods, feelings, separate realities, and present moment living, all of those things were new topics. You know, this is like, in this age, those would be considered sort of like the kindergarten, you know, open the door range topics. But back when those were introduced by my husband and and several other maybe psychologists, he was kind of in that pioneering stage before positive psychology, where he was going with the model that people are basically mentally well, but they have moments of mental dis-ease where they go into, you know, dis-ease rather than being in their wellness. So his whole goal was let's teach people how to access their mental health and well-being. Well, don't sweat the small stuff. If you think about those five principles, thoughts, moods, feelings, separate realities and present moment living, don't sweat the small stuff takes those principles and illustrates them with real life examples of life practice. So 
he, 20 years ago, when that book came out, had identified that people need to know, how do I practice this stuff? How is it practical to my daily living? And so I think one of the reasons why the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff books were so wildly popular is because Richard had taken these principles and put them into life practice, like certain things that people could do and practice how to access their mental health and well-being, you know, and then these were so simple that people would do them and they would notice, oh my God, I feel better. So, you know, I think anytime we can make things simple for people, it's like the easiest way to reach the masses is not with complexity, but with simplicity. And I think Richard did that beautifully. As you're saying that, I'm thinking of the day I'm having today where I am sweating the small stuff. I mean, to be, the irony is I'm having a little bit of a frustrating morning and had some things just go a little sideways and I'm a little frustrated, but more than anything, I just uh, recognize the opportunity or the need in our business, in the transformational leadership space, the thought leadership, content creation. You know, we really need to be able to create actionable, simplistic ways to assimilate the information. So, you know, I just revisited Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. I read it back in the early 2000s and hadn't seen it in, I don't know, 15, 20 years, hadn't really revisited it. What I just remembered when I read it, how impactful it was. It was like, wow, this is so easy to apply and so relevant, mm-hmm. right? It was just so super, super simple and relevant. The difference then though, I wasn't quite, hadn't taken the licks out in the world enough to really... <laughs> you, were too, you were too young. <laughs> I was just way too green. I, you know, I hadn't been literally beaten down and had to dust myself off a hundred times to really get it. And then once in a while, I still do sweat the small stuff. So I'm curious, how do we actually, you know, not sweat the small stuff? How do we actually apply it? Well, I mean, like I said, there's a hundred different chapters in each Don't Sweat the Small Stuff book. And there's nine books in the series and they're all niched to different, you know, topics in our lives. But I think in essence, you know, it's very simple and it's about being mindful and about approaching life from a completely mindful place and practicing mindfulness. And, you know, that term wasn't really a broad term when Richard wrote that book 20 years ago. Mindfulness has really come into its own in, you know, the more recent years. But being mindful is a couple of things. It's about offering yourself true self-compassion, you know, being kind to yourself, being gentle, being present with intention of kindness and gentleness, and also embodying your feelings without imploding your feelings, you know, being able to acknowledge where we're at in ourselves and accept those aspects of ourselves without imploding on others, Um, becoming more responsive to life and less reactive to life. That's a really, really key part of the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff book series. And how do we do that? We do that by being able to take a pause before we react, being able to, again, use a mindful approach to living. And that means just being able to sit for a moment, take pause, notice how you're feeling, Instead of reacting to those feelings, breathe into them, allow those things, those feelings to pass, get your perspective back, aligning with your heart, aligning with your center, aligning with your breath. 
I mean, honestly, like if I could teach anybody anything, it would be just breathe. Like that's all you have to do. And (laughs) whenever I say that to my kids, they just roll their eyes. I mean, I've been texting them that for years. They would text me when they were about ready to take an exam. And I'd be like, just breathe, you know, (laughs) drink water and breathe. I get it. So the founder of Gestalt Therapy, what is it? Fear is excitement without the breath. Gay Hendricks always reminds me of that. So one thing I'm noticing is find the beauty in every situation, right? That's one of the uh, notes here that I have. Yeah, because there is an innocent beauty in every situation. If you're mindful of that and you can be, you know, strategically looking for that, then there is beauty in almost every situation. And even in loss, there's great beauty in loss because it wakes you up to all the beauty that surrounds you. You know, I don't know if anybody who's listening has noticed that, but certainly when you're going through hard times, aren't you more aware of like everything around you because you're more sensitive? You're de- you, we get kind of in this desensitized numb state and then suddenly you know, your heart is really exposed and raw and vulnerable. But then with that comes like this greater awareness of, of everything around you and everyone and everything. And that's beautiful. Yeah, it really is. And there's opportunity in every experience, even like you were saying, I mean, when, when we're angry, when we're upset, what's it trying to tell us? You know, a dear friend and mentor used to say it this way, that every emotion has a payoff, right? So Mm -hmm. anger, anger can create space or, um, frustration can could maybe get you out of something or depression might get you out of out of some responsibility um there's opportunity in every emotion and and, and what i like to say or what we say at the face dragon brand is really to leverage your fear and use the chemicals understand all of the the energy is is for your benefit right yeah i always say without fear like for me like without fear it's not very like i must not be that engaged in it (laughs) Yeah. Like it must not be like that important. Yeah, there's it's like there's nothing to lose. There's no there's nothing there. That's true. So I mean, I I was excited and a little bit antsy to get on the call with you today. You know, we met on that amazing trip in Costa Rica. We spent those 10 days as speakers and leaders of 24 entrepreneurs and you know, we all had all these opportunities to kind of face a lot of our fears and it was just so great to be on that experience with you and to um recognize all the triggers in myself and to see the triggers in others and to, to try to breathe into those, right? Yeah, that was fun. What a fun trip. So what's next for you? What You've got a new book. Is that public? Can yeah, we talk about I mean, that? I, okay. I can, yeah, we can talk about that. I'm in a, um, I have a book proposal out. It's called From Heartbreak to Wholeness, um, The Heroine's Journey to Joy Through the Stages of Healing. And I'm really excited about it because it's where I am. I I feel like it's been 10 years in my journey and I feel like I've arrived in a place of true wholeness and sovereign. I feel very sovereign in my life and I have a lot to share about all the stages of healing that you can go through. And, you know, with one caveat and that is that you have to choose to be the hero of your story. Um, It's going to be a cool book. I think it's going to have a space um, in the back with like a kind of a, a mantra of guided imagery from me and then a list of questions that I call the soul inquiry and it will be an opportunity for the reader to write their own hero or heroine's journey and in their through their healing so that they feel very empowered as they're going through their healing and, and through these stages. So yeah, I'm super excited about it. It'll be a very deep dive for me. I'm ready ready to go there now. Yeah. And sometimes 
it's good to be ready. And then also sometimes we've just got to take the leap, right? Yeah. Well, I feel like my whole life has been taking the leap, honestly. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> I feel like I've been constantly taking the leap ever since Richard died. So I'm always leaping off the Grand Canyon. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the work. There's a lot of opportunity that comes from that courage. And I invite everybody listening to take a leap somewhere. What does that look like for you to, to take that big leap? So what, what's been one of the biggest leaps you, you think you've taken since, uh, well, in your whole life, whether either before or after? You know, I think for me, it's just been like learning how to really settle into the unknown and look at the unknown as a real vast place of creativity. You know, like I think that's been a huge leap for me and something I've learned and something I actually invite now. I love that place of the unknown now, but I used to hate it. I mean, honestly, I used to hate it. I used to want to plan everything. I used to want to be in control. And now I I think realizing that control is just an illusion and that sure you have to have plans of action and I certainly have many goals and I have lots of intentions that I have every day. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm more interested in keeping that space of creativity alive and that place I've learned to really love is is really the vast unknown because I see that as the most exciting place and not scary anymore at all. Like that it's actually the place of creativity. It's actually the place of really to dive into and and know that there's so many millions of possibilities and that you can land on a few is amazing. And how, you know, maybe not knowing what they are is amazing too. It's exciting. Yeah, it really is. So what what would you say is one thing that you would inspire or sort of (laughs) instigate everybody to do on this? What is that sort of one takeaway action step or way of being that you would challenge them to rise up to? Well, I would say, and the way I work with people a lot is like that if you are feeling some sort of lack of engagement in your life, you know, like chances are a lack of engagement is something that kind of permeates your life. If you're feeling it in one area, you're feeling it in a lot of areas. And I would really challenge you to do something of change, you know, some change something up in your life, like do a change in one area so it will ignite your passion in all areas. And you'll notice that as you create more change in your life and you do things that you're uncomfortable doing, that your engagement in life in all areas goes way up. It actually drives your passion and drives your feelings of being alive And, you know, my message is always that we have to wake up to our lives and we have to wake up to our lives right now. We can't wait. You can't wait till tomorrow to be more successful or to do this or that. And then that's the day you're going to wake up. You got to wake up right now. You have to wake up to what you have and wake up to what you really deeply desire and start moving in those directions. Even if you have to take a dive into the unknown, even though that might be scary, you know, the more you do it, the more you realize that actually diving in to what you don't know brings all of those things to light that you love. And I think that's probably, you know, that's probably what I would say is most important. Love it. Thank you. And that's so similar to the quote that we speak of here at Face Your Dragon is that the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek by Joseph Campbell. So great, right? So what you're most resisting and most afraid of are the very things that will set you free. So mm-hmm. we'll end it there. So how does everybody find you, Chris? Where, where do we get more information about you and what you're up to? 
Yeah, just go to my website, christinecarlson.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, Carlson, C-A-R-L-S-O-N.com. Awesome. Chris, it's been a total honor to have you today. I just love your levity and sweetness and presence oh. and big heart. And Thank so, you. Yeah, so Thank you. It's you. been wonderful. Great conversation. Thanks, Brad. Thank you so much, Chris. I want to thank our guests for sharing their hearts and brilliance with us. Thank you, Christine Carlson. We're so grateful for your contribution to the world. You can find out more about Christine Carlson at christinecarlson.com. That's Christine with a K. And as we dive deeper into Facing Your Dragon, I want to offer the opportunity for you to discover the number one hidden fear stopping you from earning what you're worth. Be sure to take the one-minute quiz at couragequiz.com. And if there's something here I mentioned that you want to review again, keep in mind we keep all the notes for you, including links to everything we talked about today. You can find the show notes for this episode at faceyourdragon.com forward slash episode 003. And finally, I would like to invite you to subscribe and leave a five-star review for the Face Your Dragon podcast by visiting faceyourdragon.com forward slash subscribe. Be sure to share this episode with your tribe on social media if it was useful for you. We'd love that. And join our conversation in the Face Your Dragon Facebook group as we talk more about your greatest fears being the very thing that will set you free. Tune in to episode four because I'll be talking with my dear friend, the amazing genius Barnett Bain, producer of What Dreams May Come with the late Robin Williams as we discuss his most recent movie, Milton's Secret, based on the children's book by the Power of Now author Eckhart Tolle. We dive headfirst into how to unlock your potential by illuminating your shadow and how your dragon never really goes away. The key is to bring light to it by going into the dragon's cave and turning on the light. And some other amazing upcoming guests like spiritual film producer and 10 times best-selling author James Twyman, who has performed at the United Nations and the Pentagon as we discuss how to create peace in this crazy world we are living in today and how fear is a normal response for us all. These incredible beings and many more on the Face Your Dragon podcast. See you on the next show. And remember, when you face your dragon and take the leap, you will break free.